0: Yes, Houston is indeed filled with promise for 112 of America's best young cricketers, with the men's under-19s national championships getting underway on the 5th of April in the largest city in Texas. Welcome back to Deep Point. An extra podcast from Emerging Cricket, where we delve into issues that we didn't have time to cover on the main show. I'm Nick Skinner, but today we're hearing from our USA correspondent, Nate Hayes, who had a chat with ESPN Crick Info's Peter Della and longtime U.S. cricket observer, Dave Jagannath. So, without further ado, I'll hand you over to Nate.
1: Finally, we're going to see some meaningful national-level cricket. It's been a long time coming, and it's an understatement to say that a lot has gone on in the meantime, both positive and negative. But the point of this discussion is to focus on the men's U19 National Championships this week in Prairie View, Houston. Participating in this conversation is Peter Delapena from ESPN Crick Info and longtime USA cricket enthusiast Dave Jagannath, and myself, Nate Hayes, contributor with Emerging Cricket. We've come together to discuss the coming week of competition, and this will be kind of a high-level overview of what's happening. As the week goes on, there will be more and more people included in these conversations, Amin Patel, who has had many USA 19 hopefuls as guests on his podcast, was supposed to join the night, but got roped into umpiring a late Triangle Cricket League game. I hope to have the likes of zonal volunteers, USA Cricket personnel, and Smith Patel from Crick Buzz. Fingers crossed, but hopefully some zonal coaches as well. Dave Jay's in the middle of an Uber shift, so we're going to start with uh, Peter. Um, Peter De La Pena literally just walked off of his flight. His first one in fourteen months, and the big question is, did you choose Chick Fil A or the old reliable Five Guys for dinner tonight?
2: Got to go with the old reliable.
1: It Was the uh, small fries at the airport from McDonald's that that did it for you, huh?
2: I was I was left with a sour taste in my mouth that O'Hare on like, my connecting flight, so uh, I had to I had to cleanse the palate with some good fresh Five Guys fries. So I'm all I'm all fattened up now, ready to go.
1: So 23 hours of no no sleep plus five guys fries. I'm sure you're uh, being pretty tempted by that bed.
2: Yeah, can't wait to put my head down later.
1: <laughs> it's been pointed out on uh, Facebook recently by a, by a few people that while this is the first U-19 national championships under USA Cricket, Usaka held national championships for this age group with uh, a similar zonal structure.
2: Is that correct? Don't you dare tarnish the memory of USACA, Nate. How dare <laughs> you try to... Of USAC and all the great memories of the USAC era by <laughs> calling this the first ever USA under 19 national championships. So I,
1: I, I take it you saw some of those posts then.
2: There are many people who, on a serious note, there were some good efforts and, and positive contributions that were made in the past. And I, I know those people don't want to have their efforts neglected or forgotten, which is more than fair, but yes, this is the first official under 19 championships of the new governing body, the new era in American cricket. And hopefully it is a positive experience, start of some good momentum in terms of on-field activities, because there haven't really been much of anything on-field domestically or internationally with regards to American cricket. And this is the first domestic championships that USA Cricket has organized. There's been so much emphasis on the quote called high performance in usa men's national team usa women's national team usa under 19 national team usa cricket sent an under 19 squad to toronto in 2019 but all of these things were done basically in in siloed environments with just a series of trials compared to the past in the USACA structure where you had zonal championships national championships for each team within the regional side this is the first true match play domestic event organized by USC cricket. And I think a lot of people are very excited about it. And a lot of people are going to be casting a very keen eye to see not just the players and, and evaluate the players' performances, but from an administrative standpoint, I know there are definitely going to be some people chomping at the bit to compare the organizational aspects of, of what's being done in the upcoming week compared to how it was done in USACA and is it better? Is it worse? Is it more of the same? Has anything truly changed? So there'll be, there'll be many things that people will be paying attention to this week, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting week. I think with, with the lack of any real significant games over the last 13 plus months, almost 14 months now, I think that it's going to bring extra scrutiny, perhaps. It, it has that potential, at least. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I, know, I know a lot of people are, are watching this with a lot of anticipation. So they've placed the tournament over Easter. Uh, and, you know, obviously that's one of the bigger holidays here in the U.S. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of challenges to be culturally inclusive with Ramadan coming up, limiting scheduling. And uh, a lot of kids are off this week, so I'm sure that has probably the most to do it. Uh, I know you and I grew up playing – sports uh, in the usa and grew up always with a baseball tournament or something on this kind of weekend but in my case it was always optional it was like a special invitational tournament that literally meant nothing for your regular team except for the chance to get a trophy and so oftentimes i would skip it because of obviously because of easter and my family kind of valued that a little more than baseball (laughs) so so do you think this will become like kind of a traditional thing is it you think that's that's a possibility with the with the break in schools and whatnot
2: i yeah kind of similar to, to what you were saying i i stopped playing baseball competitively a bit earlier some of the other sports and activities that i was involved with ice hockey uh, was one of the things that stuck with the longest i remember christmas in particular being a, a, a holiday period and there were some other things I, I did with my high school over over christmas um in terms of extracurricular activities that we would take an annual trip to south carolina to myrtle beach that basically we um we would fly out on christmas day and then one year there was a blizzard in new jersey we wound up actually having to go to i think it was laguardia there were i think five or six teams that were coming from manhattan in north jersey it was christ christ the king i think uh archbishop malloy was on our flight and basically we had a chartered flight the nike Paid for a charter flight to get all the teams to South Carolina because there were so many high level basketball prospects that needed to get to South Carolina to, <laughs> to be in the Savannah, or else like he couldn't showcase all these players. Uh, one of the players, Sebastian Telfair, was at this tournament. Um, for people who remember, Sebastian Telfair was cousins with Stefan Marbury, and he was with Lincoln High School. So it was like, by any means necessary, Sebastian Telfair has to get to this tournament. We cannot leave him out. <laughs> um, and I was I was with to expose myself as a as a, a big time nerd. I was there was the basketball team that went to the tournament, and there was the quiz bowl team that went to this tournament. And I was with the quiz bowl team, so I was the designated sports and pop culture like guy for the for the quiz bowl team. Everybody else was like in the top five of our class who was on the quiz bowl team, and I was like in the hundred eighties at him. <laughs> 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 all I did was watch sports, and I stopped. And anyway, yeah, so. So we would, we would fly out on Christmas Day and we'd stay, stay in Myrtle Beach all through until New Year's Eve. Kind of from an early age, you're, you're raised, you know, ho- holidays are all about the family. You want to spend time with family. And then from like the time I was 16, 17, all of a sudden it was like, okay, not to spend Christmas with my family. <laughs> it felt weird initially, but then it was kind of encouraged because you were representing your school or you were representing something bigger than, than yourself. The schools, regardless, uh, have this break catered around the Easter holidays, so this is an opportunity kind of in a similar sense that you could see in the future, the tournaments uh, played around it when kids have a week off of school and it's not going to interfere with their academics. And, and talking about the Christmas break, USACA actually did back in, I think it was 2011. They did play in an under-19 national championship in California. And that was held over Christmas break. I think it was from the 26th to the 28th or 26th to the 29th, I want to say. And one of the teams actually didn't make it out there because, there was a blizzard <laughs> and I think one of the teams from the East coast that was trying to connect to get to California, their flights were all canceled. So they had to kind of reconfigure the schedule. I remember in terms of which teams were playing what uh, out in Los Angeles at Woodley park that was done with good intentions, trying to, t- trying to schedule a national championship for the under 19 kids during a time frame when they would be off from school and it wouldn't interfere with the studies. And then the weather kind of created chaos for that. It's
1: just a shame they, they didn't schedule their flight with blue-chip basketball prospects, and then they, <laughs> it might have
2: worked out. I <laughs> think I'll never forget about that. We, we were basically, we were the only flight that left that day. So it was basically a charter flight. The whole airport was empty. All flights were canceled. But Nike said, like, that flight has to leave today. So we were <laughs> delayed. Uh, what I remember about that was, yeah, we, they said, no matter what, that flight has to leave today because the first games were on the 26th, and they weren't going to push back games we got to the airport. It was like a blizzard. I, I actually had to stay over the, on Christmas Eve at my friend's house, who was also on the quiz team with me. And my mom was very concerned that her her, her car w- was not like a four-wheel drive or anything. And she thought, like, well, I'm not going to be able to go up and down the hill. It's going to be icy. Like, in the morning, you either stay overnight at Derek's house or you're not going to get to South Carolina. So I was very, very emotional. Like, Mom, like, do you hate me that much that you don't want me to spend Christmas morning with you? Like, you're showing me end It has <laughs> me. You know you want to celebrate Christmas with your son? Like, what kind of mother are you? <laughs> uh, and uh, so I stayed overnight. I basically like slept in on purpose at Derek's house because it just it just felt so awkward being at somebody else's house, at somebody else's family's house on Christmas morning. So I kind of like pretended to be asleep just so I didn't in- interfere with or disrupt their own personal family like Christmas morning. <laughs> and then, and then they're like, Peter, come on, we got something for you. Like, you don't have to hide. And they, they actually were quite nice. They, they went and got me like a sweater from the gaps so that I could have something to open on Christmas morning. But then we went out to the airport. We got to J- uh, LaGuardia, I think, at 11 a.m. or noon. And we didn't leave until I think 11 o'clock at night because there was snow and the blizzard. The snow just kept coming in. And it was a matter of we don't care how long that flight is delayed. Nike's going to cover the cost. And one way or another, you're getting out of South Carolina. So all flights were canceled. We sat in the airport, I think, for 10 hours that day. And then finally, they told us, all right, you can start boarding. And then it, the other thing I was really kind of kind of getting very anti and nervous about was they probably spent a good hour de-icing the wings. Oh. And they're just de-icing the wings, de-icing the wings, spraying the de-icing. And I thought, oh, God, like, they're so desperate to get this flight in the air. Like, they're not going to de-ice the plane properly. And we're just going to fall out of the sky.
1: <laughs> it could have just oh. been a terrible scandal. You 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 just missed out. <laughs>
2: Just because just because Sebastian Telfair needs to play. That's
1: <laughs> Unreal. It's too dangerous to fly unless you unless you have to get a basketball player someplace.
2: But we got we got there in the end. Is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I think I, I think I would have just gone home. <laughs> <laughs> so so some of the some of the interesting storylines uh, surrounding the Nationals, um the the Colts concept, the 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 team is zone independent, so it's got players from all zones or even no zones in some cases. Four members of the Colts were on minor league exhibition rosters. Three of those players attended the Major League Elite Youth Camp. One other player also attended the Major League Elite Youth Camp, so there are some notable names in, in that regard. Another notable name, uh, Slade Van Staden. Uh, one, He's a one-time South African U19 hopeful. He's been named as the captain of the Colts. Peter I, We've seen a bit of a reaction to him leaving South Africa on Twitter that's kind of been a bit of a surprise. What do you, what do you make of that?
2: Well, what I found kind of comical is that without being crude to some other players who have represented USA, there is kind of a stigma that when players are, are coming from overseas who are dual citizens or qualifying on residency or, or what have you, the stigma has been Players who come to play for USA from overseas Warren brought up somewhere else and they qualify another way. The stigma is, oh, these guys are second-rate players and um, they're only coming to play for USA because they they failed in their home country. And the reaction for Slave and Staden is basically like, please don't leave us. Please stay in South <laughs> Africa. What what are you what are you doing? Why is why is this guy leaving? No, no, this guy is like gonna be a future like protea great oh my god what what the hell is going on like south africa uh, cricket south africa is really screwed up if they let uh slavin and leave and go to the usa and it's like oh people instead of instead of being ambivalent about a player leaving or or like good riddance it's no no please come back no <laughs> where are you going <laughs> don't leave us so that Hints at the fact that this guy's a blue chip prospect. If you look at his stats, for the people who aren't familiar with him and and his his reputation, this guy has scored a mountain of runs in South Africa schools cricket. the The school that he has uh, attended, Hilton or something. I want to say yeah, Hilton sounds right. It, it's it's a school that has produced uh, players for South Africa. I think the most recent one is. Lungi and Gidi, I think, is is going there. It's got a solid reputation for producing South African players, and this guy has scored at least eight or nine centuries in the last two years at this high level uh, school team in the school's competition out in and around Durban. Again, in American cricket and junior cricket, people get excited about half centuries. It's like, oh, this guy scored like eight fifties. Ooh, that's like special and it, oh he scored one century like oh wow and he's really good there's a different standard over there you don't get excited about one century you, you you know, one century's like oh great well done this guy is scoring uh, i think four or five six centuries in a season and i think without without setting expectations too high for him it's exciting the things that can be found on him the evidence is there that uh, this guy is potentially a solid solid prospect for for USA especially from the same point if you judge by the reactions from the people in South Africa who have seen him growing up there and were expecting him to play for South Africa um, right? they're they're already missing him so that that's that's uh that bodes well and hopefully um without again putting too high expectations or undue pressure on him i think um People are really, really excited to see what he produces as the captain of the gold team this week.
1: We're, we'll see for sure. Got to adapt right away to a new wicket. He's got to deal with the pressure of captaining a, a team full of people he's just going to meet, pretty much. So there's there's some pressure on him as well. So if he does come out and, and scores runs and and performs big, that to me that says an awful lot about his caliber. But there's there's a lot of obvious questions left unanswered. And amongst those, uh, he seems to be a, a passionate cricket player. I mean, you kind of have to be to to score those heaps of runs, like you said. You got to really li- live and breathe it. I'm sure he's aware of the history of, of his country in South Africa. And if he is, if he does become a great player, another question is how how long will he stick around if he stays here? So let's let's see. All those things are are, are yet to be answered. We'll definitely be be watching that. Another interesting thing I noticed is Arnabire on the Colts. He was on a minor league team. He he was in the major league camp in the first group, which was the stronger group, but he's on the Colts team. He's not on either of the West teams. And this is interesting to me. He he kind of has a reputation for being a, a good player. I know I I mentioned this to to Dave before, and it looks like he's uh got a little break from his Ubering. Well, Dave, what what do you think?
3: Like I said, everybody, I know a lot of the players that Major League Academy was talking up doesn't necessarily mean that's the same way USA cricket look at, at at those players. Right, right. You know, the just because they were in the main team, that doesn't mean they're in the, the main eyes of the USA are, you know, setup. But again, like I tell uh, like I said, this tournament will showcase who is who. This is why one this is why. I'm always calling for tournaments like these to you know, everybody always say, hey, we have all these good players here. Well, in order for them to know how good they are, we need tournaments like these, it, you know, and this is where they get a chance to prove who they, who they actually are. You know, there's such good players here in Mid-Atlantic, and I'm pretty sure you will ask me which ones I think of are New York. This, that's because I know them here. They haven't gotten sure. a chance to, to showcase their talent against the West Zone or the Midwest zone, South, whatever, uh, the, the Texas team, y- right. you know, they play individual players. They have played against, like, a few players, but never the a full force of the Texas guys, you know, or the California yeah. guys.
1: Yeah, this is kind of a new thing for this generation here to, to be able to compete against each other in their zones. Right. Um, I
3: think the last time these guys actually compete against – them uh, like this was maybe a few years ago at a very uh, maybe under 15 i think 2016 in chicago yeah well one
2: of the things that they've touched on there that i, I think it's a good point i know i've been critical at times of, of ace but i i'm generally uh i would say positive that they are organizing things and trying to develop infrastructure which is clearly a benefit and and providing opportunities in that sense through through minor league and major league there's no, there's no such thing as, as too much cricket being played so the fact that players are getting opportunities to play is good the the thing that I get concerned about especially at junior level though is is they're becoming an over reliance for a kind of a pendulum swing too far in the direction of pay to play especially at junior level and and Dave just kind of touched on that You've got the eighth initiatives, which are great, but it's essentially, and to be part of these academies, you've really got to have deep pockets. I, I do place some, some credence on you get what you pay for. Um, and that philosophy where, yeah, you know, if you're being charged X amount of, of money, uh, and that could be in, in, into the four figures for, for junior academy coaching, the expectation is that if you're paying that much money, you ought to be developing into an elite player or an elite prospect. Um, so it, it shouldn't be too surprising that, and, and not necessarily a negative either, that a bulk of the kids who are getting selected for these kind of events are going to be from ace academies going forward, because that's the, the top dollar uh, top ticket um, price tag in terms of junior coaching and junior academy structure in, in this country. And you're, you're, again, you're getting what you're paying for. You're getting access to, to high-caliber, high-echelon coaches. You expect to get a good return on that investment. The negative is that if, if, you, if you get too deeply entrenched in that, you're going to potentially miss out, you're, you're, you're going to potentially price out players or families who are exceptionally athletically talented but who just don't have the money and and they're right. not um they're not being sponsored they're not being subsidized um there's no kind of like scholarship structure in, in that sense like like you do have in the NCAA scholarship uh, structure with, with basketball basketball sure. football where you know you have a lot of um players uh from from a lot of NCAA sports who are come from um underprivileged backgrounds the NCAA scholarship is a great level where you don't you don't have to be paying uh hand over fists and and forking out you know your 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 mom and dad's pension and their 401k in order to get an NCAA basketball scholarship or or to to forge your way on the path to a pro career. If you're good enough through the high school and into the NCA structures, you get your NCA scholarship paid for and that's your right. pathway to get get into um, professional sports. Here sure. what's, what's, what's what's positive about this tournament is that it's not you know MLC and M I L C um, in some ways it could be argued those, those, the pathway to that is pay to play. You've got to get pay to play, pay to get into uh, an Ace Academy to really be on the pathway for those things. The, the balance um, or the counterbalance that USA Cricket uh, ostensibly is providing through this is the fact that they are still providing, while, while a significant number of players who are getting picked for these squads are unsurprisingly Ace Academy kids, there is still scope for players who are are not from uh, deep-pocketed families who will still be given opportunities to get evaluated, who um, are getting selected. They, they aren't going to fall, fall through the cl- cracks or slip through the cracks, and they are going to get that opportunity, as Dave said, to, to test themselves on field and show that they are just as talented and just as capable of performing as the Ace Academy kids, and it, you don't... You don't necessarily have to be playing for an Ace Academy and, and paying uh, you know, thousands of dollars a month or tens of thousands of dollars a year to be on the pathway to USA national team representation. And you're not going to fall through the cracks, but there is still a safety net there that other people are watching you, evaluating you, and you're getting that chance to compete and measure yourself against other players from all sorts of backgrounds, and, and you aren't gonna, going to be ignored. So I think that, that in itself is is a positive aspect of the fact that the national governing body is still in charge of these events, and it's not exclusively being organized by the, the commercial partner.
1: Right. And and another another barrier that exists in spite of all this is the youth programs. Uh, there's not everybody who's even in this event plays for even a youth side. Uh, for right. example, there's a player in the East who's, whose brother I know, um, Derek Prasad, and the, his family... Uh, lives in uh albany i think and that's where he plays his cricket and there's not a youth youth club for him there he plays in the regular adult league and so when you have these zonal trials and things like that a player like him can can show up you know they can they can make their way onto a zonal team which is what what has happened so so that's that's definitely a good thing dave the the
3: mid-atlantic
1: and the east zones um so there's not much turf in, in, those, in those areas, as you know. There's,
3: there's no turf.
1: There's no turf. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, not there's, many.
3: Not the period. You,
1: you, you got you to gotta get on a flight to Guyana, right?
3: You got to get on a flight to Guyana, Jamaica, Trinidad, Barbados, wherever it is. You go yeah. for it. Do you think... Even w- India. So we, we, we're trying to go to New Zealand and Australia soon. Oh, I, nice. Some of the boys have actually went to England. Oh, great. Great. Yeah, it's
1: well, hopefully they'll get some turf of their own. How far behind the eight ball are they going into a
3: tournament where basically three games are going to decide where you where you end up? I don't know. I've been around Mid-Atlantic guys for so long. I I will put Mid-Atlantic at the top to win this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I know I know everybody is saying this turf, 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 but Mid-Atlantic guys got a lot of experience behind them. They have played in many tournaments very competitive they went to all over so I will put mid atlantic up there against uh, anybody i mean it's of course it's going to be tough but mid atlantic guys are ding new york on the other hand the east the east I right? i'm so used to, <laughs> to, to 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 you know but new york is under i mean the east is um i know much of the kids too. But they don't have as much exposure as I will say as Mid-Atlantic or the rest. You know, but they are, I mean, two two guys that I know batting wise is Taha and Mohammed Shah the captain. Mm-hmm. Those are two guys to watch out for, in my opinion. From right. the east. You know, but but they can, I don't, I mean, a lot of people always talk about tarf, tarf, tarf. Yes, they have a lot to do with it. But these guys have played a lot of cricket and they they know what to expect. Right. They're not, you know, and I think they can adapt. I think they can make the adaption. Right. Uh, especially Taha. Taha was in, um, in Pakistan training, I think, for a good four months or so. He right. just came back for the tournament. So he should be ready and should be re- uh, ready to adapt to the, the condition over
1: there. So so when they came out with the, the zonal rosters, I looked at them, and, um, of course, I think everybody looked at them and had their opinions about the, the groups, and then they did a, a reshuffle, and honestly, the reshuffle kind of addressed a problem I had perceived at the time of a little bit of an imbalance with Group A having probably a, 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 what looked the like The top on teams. Yeah', yeah. like on paper to have the, strong, the top team. So now they've rebalanced it so that Group A has the MidEast, the uh, West blue team, the South and the Colts, and Group B has East, Midwest, Southwest and West Red. And so it looks like a lot of people
3: may have uh, perceived that as well, or at least USA did. Um, but this no, I, I, I think the complaint I think soon as it came out, the complaint started.
2: I think I didn't honestly
3: are the criticism started. When is
2: there a time that people aren't complaining, baby? Come on. <laughs> no, 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 But you know, the
3: criticism started and I think they take a look into it and they realize okay, maybe they made a you know, I, yeah. I don't know because when they, they send the amendment uh thing, I was like, oh they changed it around. I you know, because I know they were stuck behind the scenes.
1: Yeah. I was actually shocked. I didn't see many people complaining about it on Facebook, um, which is usually the place where everybody, you know, gets together on, on things. But <laughs> I
3: hey, think come on, is, man,
2: I, you got to rally the troops. I, I think <laughs> have this one
3: tournament, everybody's looking forward to. So they're going to take,
2: they're going <laughs> to
3: take uh, whatever they get, you know? Yeah. So, everybody
1: well, is looking forward to it. I, I, I agree. You, um, you know, like
3: a one guy asked me, called me about the lawsuit kind of thing. And I'm like, listen, man, Y'all need to stop wearing it. Just get the under 19 rolling and you'll see how everybody start stop talking about the lawsuit. It, it, yeah. you know? So at the end of the day, I think we're just happy for this tournament to take to get started. And again, everybody have players from all over who is their favorite, you know. So yeah. now's the time to show sure who is who.
1: So, so, Dave, do you want to be bold and give a prediction here
3: for the group uh, group leaders? Uh, I'm going with mid atlantic. I don't know. I know Peter with me on mid at atlantic. Are you with me, Peter
2: <laughs> as as a group leader as
3: a group leader, yeah,
2: uh, I said
3: th- well I think the x factor is late. that will be the as that will be the game on Monday.
2: Everybody's talking about that game as good as as good as a lot of these kids are the 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 reality is the top to bottom depth in a lot of these squads isn't quite there, just just from a sheer numbers standpoint, there there isn't the raw volume of players to really extract top to bottom depth across the board from squad to squad. And it it opens the door for for one player to be a a game breaker and a game changer. And theoretically you could have a a below average uh, standard of, of player top to bottom in the cold squad, but all, all it would take is just the one player, Clay Van Stadden, who could be an equalizer. Realistically speaking, again, as good as uh, the mid-Atlantic zone players are, I don't think he's going to be necessarily intimidated by the bowling he's going to face this week compared to what he may uh, be seeing on a regular basis in South Africa. Uh, I think the biggest challenge to overcome for him is just simply adjusting to the prairie view pitch because he's never played on it before. Uh, right. And even even for a high caliber player, uh, those things do take a level of adjustment period. But in terms of in terms of top to bottom depth, can just simply be a matter of one or two stand up players. affecting, theoretically, yeah, Mid Atlantic might have better pl- players for U.S. standards on paper, but do they have a high, high, high class individual standout star uh, like the Colts team does with, with Slade Benston as captain? I mean, if you look at the Mid Atlantic team, you've got. Um, Simon Kamala, who really impressed me when he played for USA Under-19 back uh, two summers ago. And having somebody with that experience definitely helps. I know Yasser Mohamed or Yasser, Yasser Syed uh, is somebody who was really, really high on. And now he's in the mix, not just for Mid-Atlantic, but for potentially pushing for a spot in the U.S. Under-19 team. Uh, so, so they've got some good players there. You know, funny things can happen in these and these events you know you guys touched on it uh a few minutes ago that you know it's it's really tough there's going to be some big decisions made basically off of three games it's it's three games and then your your your, your playoff round match and i know a lot of people think that's unfair how, how can you pick a uh, a squad based off of just just three days of cricket or four days of cricket they should be really using uh a more extended time frame and evaluating these guys on on a full season of of games in their regions and a a full season of games or two full seasons of games. And what if they just have one bad weekend? You can't just ignore a guy or, or or omit a guy for a selection for the USA under 19 spud just because of one bad weekend. Me personally, I'm a believer in it. And I felt this way with when they had the combine just in place with the ICC. I'm a big believer in the pressure aspect of these events. Yeah. You can say, Oh, well, this guy scores, 1,000 runs in local cricket. He scored a 1,000 runs in a season. He was, you know, and he just had one bad weekend. Well, to me, that says when all eyes were on him, you know, there's not a lot of people watching you find your regional cricket in New Jersey right. or New York or North Carolina or California where there's not really too many people watching those games. The pressure is is very low. Right. When all eyes are on you, you've got all the selectors watching you, national selectors, you got all the coaches, you've got media contention, however big or small the media contention is, but um, media representation that are really focusing on you in a very specific manner, you got to rise to the, the occasion. you got to rise to the pressure. And some kids, and, and, not, and not just kids, men too, when the combine system was in place, the national championship systems have been in place with USACA, um, in, in past years, when, when that pressure is on on those three days, and you've got three chances and three matches to perform, and it all comes down to those three matches, you can't fall on the excuse of, oh, he just had one bad weekend. Oh, it's not fair. He's Right. He's a consistent run score for three or four years. Well, this is when the pressure was on. This is when it mattered. This is when you have to score. And some people just don't have that mental strength in those situations. And to me, that's the biggest test. Sure, sure. Through an event like this, not necessarily, oh, this guy's technique is so good. And this guy's technique is great. You should right. see the technique all your own. He's got the best technique. Technique doesn't mean anything if you don't have the me- mental um, strength and the mental, yep. mental game to go with it. And that's what I look for. The John McEnroe and, and, mindset, and,
3: and, and that's one of the reason, and that's one of the reason we haven't been able to compete with Canada, talent wise on talent and skills wise. I think we were right up there, probably even better, but we didn't have the mental capacity to compete with them. Peter, I think you was there that that one year uh, I went up there to watch the game, and it was more of a mental thing than skills that we lost that game against Canada when. Uh, two years, not the last qualifier. 2017, Yeah, where yeah. they
2: played at, at the, the skating and curling club. Yeah, I, I would yeah. agree with that. I would wholeheartedly yeah. agree that, that, that yeah, the, the, the difference in talent, there is no difference. The USA kids are just as talented as the Canada kids uh, at that age level, and uh, there's, there's no real great talent disparity. Uh, the two key things, in my mind, have always been the Canadian kids are playing much more consistently on turf compared to the U.S. kids on a, on a regular basis. And yeah, the the mental standpoint they're because they're playing a consistently higher standard of, of league cricket, That that Toronto district and cricket association. I think is a much higher standard league, much more intense league than a lot of the players in the U.S. play on a regular basis. Um, you've got the quality of the facility playing on, on turf wickets regularly that the Canada kids do a lot more than the U S kids. Hopefully that's changing now with ACE developing a lot more infrastructure so that more players both at men and and junior level, are going to get more opportunities and women's level, uh, to play on, on, uh, turf wickets more regularly, but also, yeah, the mental standpoint, they're challenged in higher pressure situations more regularly than the American kids do. And, uh, when it comes down to a final day scenario where everything's on the line, it wasn't just 2017, Dave. It was it was that way in 2019.
0: USA, yeah, yeah, that's what I unfortunately, said, the pressure.
2: for sure in 2019, go, for sure. Go back, you know, 2011, 20, um, you know, 2011 in Ireland. USA had a, a, a place in the World Cup on the line. If, if they won, they were essentially going to clinch a spot when uh, Greg Studio was captain uh, out of New York, and they choked. In Ireland, at the qualifier in Ireland, Uh, 2013, Stephen Taylor, captain in that team. Again, in a a pressure situation, the U.S. kids crumbled. And, uh, you know, even though on paper you would say, well, USA had Stephen Taylor, Canada kids don't have a player capable of matching that kind of talent. The Canadian kids, with Nick Dutta, I remember in particular in 2015, when the pressure was on, They were able to perform, and I think some people would find it shocking that USA had Steven Taylor play in an under-19 World Cup at age 15 in 2010, and yet Steven Taylor was part of the under-19 crop in 2011 and 2013, and USA didn't qualify either time because there wasn't enough depth of talent around Steven Taylor, and that mental strength with the talent that was existing just just wasn't there to compete with the the Canadian kids. Well, yeah, Another this thing you need to improve,
1: and this 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 tournament gives players a chance to realize how they can perform under this type of pressure, and then adapt. You know, learn from it because you have to learn that you're bad at it if you are bad at it before you can fix it. So, th- so more, <laughs> more things like this is better in my mind.
3: I remember when I went to 2017 and watch a final in Canada, and I I tell everybody that I came back. I was like, man, you, we have to work on our kids for the the next World Cup. Which was two thousand nineteen. Not talent wise, the mental strength. And I remember one day we when we went against the uh, the the two. I don't want to say weaker team, but yeah, the two weaker team. Everybody was happy. I'm like, stop! Don't get excited, because we need our boys to be mentally strong for the
2: Canada. And we went yeah. into
3: that team, and right away, I, I I saw it. They 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 froze. Well, well
2: and and. And again, on just quick on, on to build on Dave's point right there, um, on the mental strength point, I think just the mental uh, uh, approach to batting and mental stamina with batting in particular, and this is something I think that that's exciting that perhaps uh, and Benston will bring to the table, is the fact that, like I said before, you know when we were first talking about and Benston, kids in America, oh I got fifty, wow, yeah I've done something special um like the concept of scoring 100 is foreign like it's not even right. like uh, a target um right. and so in those in in that match that that dave is referencing in particular in 2017 they will remember arsalan khan the canadian captain like that guy was hungry for runs that guy had knuckled down and refused to die and he put a high price on his wicket and he was scoring 50s and hundreds and right. he wanted to bet yeah. long. And he had this hunger and it was like, I'm not throwing my wicket away. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep batting and keep batting and keep batting. And they had other guys on the team like Akash Gill um, was a stand-up player and is a rising star. And th- those kind of players, they just have this hunger and this mental development in terms of their batting where like they don't get excited by scoring 30 or right. like, get these scoring forward. Oh, I've done something. I've scored 40. And if you look at that scorecard and, and you know, again, Dave was there, like, the top scores that USA made that day, I think, were in the 30s. Right. Nobody made big big scores, and that's yeah, really never been an right. issue. Nobody, well, it's never true. been an issue for the Canadian kids, right? Um, compared to US kids. So if you again, you look at the like play, Ben and he's not somebody who's going to be satisfied with, oh, I scored 35 today, like I'm, uh, I'm right. really good about myself. If he scores 35, he's gonna, he's gonna be, you know, upset, hiding his face and like, you know, covering his. His face when he goes back to his hotel room that night and and be fuming. Um, this 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 is somebody who I think can rub off on some of the other players around him, whether it's in the Colts team or just other players in the opposition in these squads, and potentially uh, in USA under nineteen. He can rub off on them. The, that that um, mental approach where I'm not content scoring forty, I'm not yeah. content scoring forty five or fifty. Like I'm gonna try for a hundred every day and. Even if I score eighty, I, I, if you know a lot of the a lot of the kids who come here this week will, will might might think like, Oh, I scored eighty like this. I'm awesome. Sl so slavin's son scores eighty, he's gonna be disappointed. Sure. He's, he's gonna be fuming going into his next It
1: it reminds me of a conversation I had once with Alvin Kalacharan and he he told me he really never he really didn't get good until he stopped being happy with centuries and started trying to score double centuries. And I thought, wow, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> that's just, uh, you know, that's that's uh, in, in the stratosphere, you know. One last thing, we'll talk about Group B, people's choices for that, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, what do you – do does anybody have a favorite pick for Group B? The East, the Midwest, the Southwest, and the West Zone Red.
3: Uh, I'm going to go with this like this. Uh, the one that um... – Rusty Tyrone is ma- uh, so That's coaches. the West, West Red. <laughs> West Red, yeah, yeah. That looks like a really yeah. good team, yeah. Yeah, they, they're the top one, and uh, the, other, the Texas team, that's how I'm going to identify them. Gotcha. I think most people are on that boat. Yeah, those are the top two teams for me. And the Colts and Mid-Atlantic are the top two in the other one. But surprises can happen, man, because I know all these teams, and most of these players, they have – most of these teams have two or three good players that can pull off something special. The Colts the Colts actually have a pretty decent team, man. This guy Ashim Ali, he's a left-hand fast bowler. I heard I heard good things about him. I haven't got, I haven't gotten to see him, but a lot of people say quite a few people say he's pretty good.
2: On paper, the the Reds, the West Zone Reds team looks stacked. Uh, specifically uh, Sanjay Krishnamurti know what he did in the minor league and uh, that during the exhibition season was named minor league MVP. He's only uh, 17. And he, again, formerly representing Karnataka underage group teams. Uh, it's pretty significant. Um, and talking with players on the West Coast, they've had really positive things to say about him. And then Rahul Jayawala, uh, again, former USA Under-19 representative was with the team in 2019. as a keeper. I was very impressed with him. I would say probably the two players I was most impressed with in terms of being prospects for the future, uh, long-term prospects, I, I would say were Rahul Jariwala and, and Sai Mukamala. Um, they both just looked very physically mature for their ages. Right. Sai, Sai is a kid who just physically looking at him, he, he looks like at the time he was 16 back in, in 2019. He looks like he was 20 or 21. Rahul Jarawala, the same thing. He was 15 years old at the time as a week to Here. He was a high school freshman, and physically, he, he reminded me of Stephen Taylor in the sense that when Stephen Taylor was 15 years old and he made his debut as a 16-year-old for USA Men, Stephen Taylor at 15 years old looked like he was like 24, 25. Physically, <laughs> he was he was six he was six foot six foot one. Was very very muscular, very mature for his age. Um, the only way that you knew Stephen Taylor was 15 or 16 was when he opened his mouth and you he, he heard him talking and he talked like a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you realized he was quite young. But just looking at him physically, you, you would think, man, it's, he's a man. He's a grown man. Right. Um, and Rahul the Jar- same thing. He was, I think he might have been the youngest player on the team that was in Canada, 15-year-old two years ago. And yet he looked like physically he was the oldest player there. He was just so physically imposing as a 15-year-old. And so, um, you know, you have players like that on paper and the experience that those guys have, and a lot of the um, training that those guys are getting out of the Ace Academy in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. But Southwest, I, I actually think Southwest, would, I have them as a fair bit in that group, just simply by virtue of the fact that um, not only do they have uh, three players coming back who are USA under-19 representatives in Ali Sheik, Bali Balisamagari, and Raymond Dar, um, it's simply the fact that it's just their home field you got to put right. a lot of stock into that. I put a lot of stock into it anyway. The right. fact that um, a lot of these guys have a hell of a lot more experience playing on these Prairie View Wickets than anybody else in the country does. Right. Um, not, not a lot of people have had access or exposure to this Prairie View facility. It's only been really up and running for the last year and a half, two years maybe.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And
2: these guys have a very significant edge in the – in Because the, um, uh, of the home team. Yeah, they're no, the home team. They, yeah. they they they've just got the exposure to the facility itself and the conditions. So in a, in a tournament, a short form tournament, where a team, say for example, like New York, players from New York may not have uh they may have turf experience on overseas tours, but they may not have ever played in Prairie View before. That's a, that's a stiff challenge to overcome in in three days. And I put a lot of stock into that in in favoring Southwest over any other team in this tournament for that reason.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good safe bet. Um, my my own opinions are, I think I think the South is gonna is gonna do pretty well. Obviously, I'm a little bit of a homer pick there, um, but a I, a I, I wouldn't be surprised to see <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to see them do very well with the with the the players they have who have uh, some some good turf uh, experience. Also, they've got two of probably the best leggies on the team. Uh, Adam Khan and uh, Adi Gupta, and I think those two young leggies are 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 gonna gonna push for the for uh, the U19 team, and they're both on the same team. So so we'll see. They they have turf experience. They've got uh, some good players. They're up against some some very good teams, um, but I wouldn't count them out. And it, as far as Group B, I gotta agree with Peter. In a tournament where three games make make your you know make your tournament that the Southwest has to have a little bit of an edge there, but the West is
3: actually pretty good though, man. I'm looking at this list again. They are, they are pretty good. Yeah, they're a great, they're a good
1: team. And and the West West Reds are a very good team too. They've got a lot of turf experience on their own. Of course, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different wicket altogether, but still. So those two teams to me look like the strongest, I think it's going to be a great experience for the Midwest uh, team, the East team for, for all the teams. I think it'll be great. Uh, I know, um, you know, Midwest seems to be like a, a rising, uh, zone the way I see it. So, so yeah, I'm really, really excited to see how things go and hopefully there'll be some surprises, but guys, I uh, want to wrap it up. I really appreciate you talking with me and I'm hopefully we can talk again, uh, later in the week as the tournament goes on and kind of reflect on things.
2: Monday it is brothers. Perfect timing, Nate, because the Gonzaga UCLA game is about to go into overtime for the uh, national championship. <laughs> Monday.
1: <laughs> it is. I cannot wait
3: for Monday. Monday will be the B2, one of the biggest games.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be, there'll be three games Monday. It's going to be tough. On Tuesday, there will be two teams that are two games into their tournament, two thirds of the way through. So that's going to be quite, quite a thing. Um, so we'll know a lot right away. By Wednesday, there'll be a totally different picture.
3: Anybody doing a prediction of who the starting eleven is with Colts and Mid Atlantic?
1: <laughs> that's some deep stuff. I think uh, it's too late in Peter's day for that.
2: If you get yeah, that, if, if you get that, Dave, then I tell you what, you can pick my Mega Millions numbers for me in the hundred. Uh, I'm, do, I'm gonna do it
3: tomorrow. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. <laughs> All right, do
1: it. Put it up on Facebook. I want to see it. Of course,
3: I'll do it tomorrow because those—that's the game I'm looking at tomorrow
2: on Monday. Game I'm looking at Monday is Baylor versus UCLA or Gonzaga. Whoever wins this second semifinal here. All right, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking
3: about, man. All I'm f- <laughs> <laughs> focusing on is this June 19. Too bad I'm on,
1: I'm on Patel's not on the call. This would go another 30 minutes.
0: <laughs> well, that wraps up our deep point for today. And on behalf of the team at Emerging Cricket, thanks for tuning in and remember that you can subscribe in your favorite audio content apps for regular podcasts keeping you up to date on news around the emerging cricket world. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter for loads of great written and visual content. Bye for now. So farewell, my darling. Perhaps we'll meet again on some seven street corner. Yes, darling,